Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Dread X collection, collection, where we are going over all of the pieces of the collection of the Dread X collection, where we are collecting together all the devs uh, for their collective take on this collective collaboration. So uh, if you aren't aware what the Dread X collection, collection is, uh, it's a little project we've got going on here at uh, Dread XP. Uh, we, we've gotten together 10 really talented indie developers and uh, we've given them the task to try to make their own version of PT within a week. Uh, now, when I say their own version of PT, I do mean their own version, not, hey, let's remake PT, uh, although we did try to invite uh, the guy that made the, the PC PT remake. But he's, he's busy with his job at Blooper Team now. So, uh, Artur, if you were listening, hello. You did a good job on that. Many, many good wishes with your uh, endeavors at Bloober. But... Um, uh, yes, what we wanted them to do was make PT in in uh, in concept, not in content. Uh, so basically, you know, what what is it about PT that was so good? It was a condensed horror experience that ultimately was a hint at something larger. Uh, it was its own thing. It was its own experience. You know, you kind of got your sense that it was its own kind of game. So I, I got ten developers together. I said, hey, make a thing that's its own thing, but it's also part of a larger thing. And uh, all 10 developers, like I said, they had seven days to do it. Uh, they all delivered within those seven days. Uh, although next time I do this, I'm probably going to do some kind of hours limit because to say seven days and then, you know, someone can only work half of one day because someone got sick. It's just not fair. So ne next time we do this, hours limit, you know, you live and you learn. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been coming together really well. So if you are interested in 10 wildly different indie horror experiences, short horror experiences, although some of them are... I, every time I say something about this project, I have to have a qualifier because they're just so diverse. Uh, and one of the games is actually like two hours long. So, you know, some of them are short, some of them are uh, sizable for a $5 game. Uh, and you get it for 7 bucks. Uh, you know, why is it $7? Well, because we, we wanted to do something good with this project. So uh, two of those dollars are going to be going to Doctors Without Borders. So... You know, you get to support a good cause, you get to, to buy a game that is a solid game, uh, and you get to support, you know, 10 really great indie devs who I, I feel have all really, you know, had a chance to shine in this project. Uh, one such indie dev we're talking today is uh, Jonathan Schwina, who is from uh, one of those places in Canada that speak French, which is why his name is all French. Anyways, uh He's going to tell us about uh, his previous game, 167, The Grand Block Odyssey, and also uh, his new upcoming game, The Pay is Nice. So without further ado, DJ, drop that stick beat! with uh, Jonathan and Jesse. Say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello. Yeah, there hello. we go. And, uh, Jonathan, how, how did, I, did I get the name correct? You got it perfectly nice. Yeah, it was perfect. Per perfectly acceptable, as they like to say when they're being polite. Um, <laughs> That's the Canadian way. <laughs> yeah, where, where in Canada are you from? Because I know it's one of those French uh, places, and I think that's Quebec, right? Uh, yeah, Quebec, but more specifically, I'm from Montreal, the, the biggest city in Quebec. Is Montreal in Quebec? Yes, of course. Yeah, it's. I don't. The, uh, I don't actually know these things. I'm such an American that it's like all of Canada is in Canada. It's one big place, right? It's it's up there <laughs> with the other places. Yeah. Well, I, you see, my um, my mom's side of the family is from Minnesota, so which is basically Canada, um, except. Uh, well, you know what? People always pretend like Canada is pleasant, but there are some very backwoodsy, strange, crazy places in Canada. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think. I think we embrace the fact that everyone says we're nice and we just try to feed that stereotype, but there's definitely places that probably aren't that nice. I don't know. Canada is very big, so. What was that movie that came out recently? It was like a, a thriller movie that took place in Canada and it had, um, like murderous Canadians in it. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It wasn't called Goldstone. Goldstone was the one in, uh, Australia. It was a Netflix movie. 
and uh-huh. it, it had a it had um one of the so your your Native Americans they call First Nations there uh, that is the preferred term in Canada I believe um so it had a First Nations individual who played this like dude with like was like murderous but he spoke with like this super heavy Canuck accent he's like why didn't you get out of here guy and then he like opens up with a machine gun and he murders it it's super terrifying it's just not what you expect with that accent uh, I, yeah I, I mean that's that's how we are <laughs> you're that's all murderous exactly. <laughs> secretly murderous yeah secretly yeah I'm trying to I'm, I'm just trying to remember what the stupid I, movie was called yeah I don't know what it is so I can't help you you don't have a you don't just automatically remember all of the Canadian movies that have ever come out was it uh, Birth of a Nation yeah no that was it Birth of a Nation you got it <laughs> a list of original films distributed by Netflix. I'm going to be looking this up as we talk about the games, so I will, I will get it. Uh, oh, there's no original films that have come out this year by Netflix. I wonder what. I wonder what could have happened this year that would have pushed back all the movies coming out. I think it was a JetX collection. Probably. I mean, that's that's been making a lot of waves. Uh, it's a pretty exciting, pretty exciting uh, project that we got coming up here. How have you enjoyed working on it? It was great. I think it, it. I was so happy for like a whole week, even though I was super exhausted by the end. I think just the concept and the the, the whole fact that I was not doing something alone. It was really like a collective effort to really work very hard on this specific idea. It was just so fulfilling. I think reading the updates of other people was nice. I felt like after one day, there wasn't much done on my side, and I saw somebody have actually made a lot of progress. So it kind of pushed me to you know, do better the next day. So it was a really nice initiative. Well, you actually were one of the uh, the more on-schedule people. Some people had to take a little bit more time, um, mostly because of, of, like, life, you know, issues. Uh, like, you know, we're in the middle of a plague right now, so sometimes people had to, like, you know, go deal with, with plague stuff, which is, you know, totally fine. But uh, you you mean, you managed to, you know, get the, the concept, the game put together pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I ended up doing it exactly in seven days. I have to admit, I probably ended up cutting some scope, but uh, with a bit of experience on my, you know, older project, I was able to tell at some point that some things were not going to be able to be done. So I ended up kind of, you know, reflecting on like day five to make sure that I was going to actually be able to finish everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's just adapting based on the whole fact that we have to do that in seven days and. Yes, there's a lot of things that would be very cool to do. There's a lot of things that I wish was in the game at this point, uh, but I just figured I need to make something that's actually playable. And I think when you do those type of games where you have a hard limit, you also need to not skip on things like having a main menu, having an actual ending scene, so it just doesn't stay there and you're like the player are wondering if they're done or not. Uh, there needs to actually like have some sort of closure to the experience to make sure that they know they're done with everything that's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about, uh, you know, the, the what your previous game was and how it really... Because I can see how some of the assets translate over, but they're very different games. Oh, they're... So, so they're a very different game. My first game, Crew 167, is a puzzler. So it's a block-pushing game where you have to push blocks on switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it started very simple like that. I thought I was going to be able to make a game within only a year uh, by keeping just that s- simple mechanic. Uh, but over time, as I started showing, off, showing it off to other people, I, I really heard that people were interested in, you know, I want there to be a story. I want to be implicated. Like I want to understand why the guy is pushing blo- uh, blocks and why is he trying to solve all those different puzzles. So I kind of started really thinking about what I wanted to to put into that game and really explore the narrative side of things. Mm-hmm. And throughout the three years and a half of development, some of that inspiration actually came from Silent Hill 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is a psychological horror game. I don't think it's a game that has a lot of jump scares and it has a lot of, like, doesn't really compare with some of the more modern horror games, but there's some very weird stuff happening and really it's a big mystery and you're really questioning what is actually happening in that game until you've actually finished it. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to spend the time, you can go on YouTube and watch a bunch of videos about people really studying the 
second and third and fourth degree of that game and really understanding all the different implications that came into that game. Of so Silent Hill 2? Yeah, of Silent Hill 2. Uh, yeah. I See, now, you, now you're, you're, you're threatening to get Ted to run off on a tangent here because I think that people... Uh, I do think people overanalyze Silent Hill 2. Not to say that I don't think it's one of the best horror games ever made because clearly it is. And if I, if I say anything other than that, then the internet hordes will uh, come and find my house. <laughs> and stab me but uh I, I do think that people have a tendency to over justify their uh, uh love for that game when it very simply is because it is a scary effective game um i think that there are like plenty of points that you can point to and say like oh this represents this um but like ultimately i do feel like a lot of the stuff was was created um and this is what i think a lot of new horror developers get wrong is i think that a lot of the stuff was created in Silent Hill to primarily look creepy and then it was molded to fit a story, which I think is the correct way to do horror because so often people are like so focused on their, their like storytelling meta narrative that they forget that they have to make like, you know, a game. No, I I think I agree with you. And I think I'm pretty much one of those person that probably overanalyzed it. But I think for me was how can I overanalyze it and use the same concept of overanalyzing and implementing that into my own story? Mm-hmm. So I think I went to those second, third, and fourth degree to implement a lot of the horror that came into the game. And then I ended up putting that into a puzzle game, mm-hmm. which I think in the end kind of worked out, but it was kind of a, I'm going to say like a broken premise. I don't, I don't think the mix was the best recipe you can get out there, but it just kind of worked in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why for the game that's going to be part of the Dreadx collection, and uh, we named it The Pay is Nice, I think I kind of use the facts and all the different aspects that I love from Silent Hill, and I try to put that into a horror game that's not definitely like a, a puzzle in first place, but it's actually a horror game in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, um, the thing about, so 167, the Grand Block Odyssey is not a game that you would imagine, like, you, you don't look at it and think this is a game with, like, a deep psychological story. But it is. Uh, because the, we don't typically think about the, the mechanics driven nature of puzzle games as lending itself to, uh, you know, complex narratives. Um, but, you know, 167, uh, I, I've, I've played a fair bit of it. It's, it's essentially a, a game about someone who's solving puzzles because they're losing their mind on this. Like, I think the game says it's like 120 years he's been in space or something like that. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's basically just hallucinating out of extreme loneliness. His only friend is this AI who has begun to show emotions, but you're not sure if the AI is actually showing emotions or if he's just hallucinating in these blocks that, you know, aren't there. And he's aware that they're not there. It's not like he thinks the blocks are there. But, you know, they give him some kind of he, he still has that impulse to solve it because it's it's like kind of it's his psychosis. And I I just thought that was a really, really uh, uh, a really cool premise, um, you know, and I, I, I yeah, <laughs> I think it makes sense. I think one aspect of it is like I'm a big coffee drinker and I love to drink coffee a lot uh, and like I'm aware that I drink probably too much coffee of what I should actually drink every day. But. I just do it because I like it, but I'm aware of it. And I think that's kind of what I portrayed into that game. That's really what I reflected is that this person knows that there's puzzle to to solve. And he knows those puzzles are probably not a good thing. Like he should not be hallucinating blocks around himself. Uh, wow. But he just embraces them because, well, I mean, it's an addiction. But at the same time, is it really that bad? You know, like I think for him, it's more like this is the normal situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, um, that makes a lot of sense. But with the, you know, going from that to the pay is nice, the pay is nice is a game where, uh, I would say it's far, like you were saying, it's far more narratively driven. It's not, you know, a puzzle with then game thrown over it. It's like story. Um, it, it's story focused. Yeah, it definitely is the, the, the other opposite. So I think because of the other game, I, started by doing a puzzle game and discovered I really like doing the narrative side of things. Well, mm-hmm. when we're able to start brand new, I was like, okay, what do I really like? And the narrative was the fun, like the, the, the front aspect of it. Uh, I want to say narrative and atmosphere. So I really mm-hmm. want to create something that 
you play out your own rhythm and you don't have to think as much as a puzzler, but you're really going through each of the different steps and you really embrace the experience. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there definitely there. It's like, it's the logical step for me, but definitely there's a big difference when you compare both games side by side. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, that's the interesting thing about solo developed games is that even the most disparate of experiences, you can still put side by side and say, and find parallels between the, the, what the creator is trying to say, the methods that they use to explain their games. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, Dusk, Dusk Dev, Dan, David, shit, sorry, David, uh, David Shemansky, uh, who is his, his for this is the Pony Factory. Um, and his previous game was Dusk. Uh, Dusk is a, a, an incredibly different game than his previous horror titles because he was kind of this narrative walking simulator kind of guy um but you you put it side side by side and you can see similar uses of you know lighting and similar uses of um you know effective scares or the way that he designs uh you know you utilizes assets you know when we interviewed him you know he was talking about the tips and tricks that he uses to kind of get the most out of each of his assets and then you know you can go back through his games and find doing that over and over again. And I, I find that, you know, uniquely interesting in a project like this where you do have 10 people working on, and even if, you know, it's not uh, necessarily a solo director, you know, they're not making all their assets themselves. You can still see uh, they're definitely the primary design force behind it. Yeah, I think it makes sense in like the personality of each. Um, I think in this case, it's more like creative director, even though he's probably doing a lot of the coding and, the vision of everything it's more like his whole vision can definitely be seen and i think one aspect for me that specifically i i don't know exactly like the full david story but uh, i worked on the previous game for three years and and like i can't even think of anything else that i've done in my life that has lasted like three years yeah uh, it's such a long evolution and such a long timeline that like each of us developers or whoever you are like your whole perspective of the world and how you approach every challenges in your in your life will definitely change over those three years it's an enormous amount of time that passes yeah so i i definitely get that that's that's i mean that's one of the reasons why i wanted to do this project so quickly is that you take a game like yours right uh like you said you've been working on it for three years uh the game you had in that your head uh, when you first start working on it, which you would probably be thinking about it for a while before you even start it, you know, uh, that that initial thought probably looks very different than what we have now. It's a it it still has the same puzzle aspects, but yeah, the you know the look, the storyline, the, the the overall goal of the whole game is totally different. It really has changed on like like a big big oh, it's a big one eighty. Uh, even there's some people that have seen the game at the beginning and started at the end. They're like, it, it's the same game. I'm like, yeah. Like, who else makes block pushing puzzles <laughs> like that? As I mean, there's plenty of block pushing puzzles out there, but not as like the main gameplay mechanic, core mechanic. But like, but like for us, like I was mostly showcasing it like in Montreal, which is city of like two million people, so it's not that big. Uh, but when people are like, oh, I saw a game like that where you had to push blocks like three years ago. I was like, yeah, this was me because nobody else is making block pushing puzzles in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you understand that you're the, uh, now you're the block guy. Although hopefully you'll be known for, uh, being the, honestly, I can't really say much about your game without spoiling it. So we're going to keep it vague. You'll be known as the, the, the spooky game guy. <laughs> the spooky game guy. Yeah. I, I think it's something that I, I think at the end of Crew 167, I kind of delved into the idea of making a little bit of horror. So um, I don't know if you made it that far into the third chapter. Without spoiling too much, I really go into the creepiness and I really like bring it to 11. Uh, mm-hmm. To a point where some people I know were playing and they're like, wait, is this a spooky game now? And I was like, it's okay. They, like, There's no jump scare. My, my goal was not to make a horror game. I just want to make it a little bit more creepy. But I think I kind of managed to scare some people off because they were like, wait, am I able to do this? Because there's some people that play puzzle games that just cannot play a horror game. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm one of them. I like 
as much as I like to make horror in some level, I like like there was the uh, Outsiders game uh, from the the Dreadx collection that I started playing, and I just could not bring myself to play it. <laughs> Which is a great endorsement of it. it. It's a great endorsement. Like I I think uh, Kyle is his real name, right? Yeah, Kyle. Uh, Kyle did a very good job because yeah, within five minutes I I was out of there. I was sweating and um, and I hadn't and it had, like I had not seen anything yet. Kyle is, I, I've said this a couple times, Kyle is really talented. And uh, I, I'm like shocked that like no one else, like no major studio has scooped him up because like his, the anatomy of his scares is really good. And I think just by, so I was able to see the trailer way before everyone saw it. And I think just by the trailer, when I started playing the game, I was like, well, this thing is going to happen and I don't want that to happen to me. And I, like, <laughs> I just started overthinking what could happen next, and that just brings me to a complete stop. Yeah. And I think for the same reason, I was not able to play PT, like the actual PT. I watched some videos, I know what it is, but I was not able to play it myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the, the thing about uh, the Pay is Nice is that uh, your the level of scares that you get to in the game are like, how do I put this? Things happen in your game almost immediately, but the answer is don't come within the, 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 the start to finish point of the game, which is why, you know, I think people are going to be hoping that it kind of evolves into a larger project. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's like scratching the surface of what can be done. Uh, and yeah, like you said, it's hard to like really talk about what's happening without spoiling it. But I think very quickly the game kind of imposes some sort of, universe or some sort of mindset on the player to say that this is not normal but like this person is going through it even though it's normal mm-hmm. yeah i think that um and when it comes to the overall package i do think that the pay is nice is going to fit in very well to uh gosh this is impossible to talk about without spoiling things <laughs> uh <laughs> That's why I was not like releasing much on Twitter. I think it's very hard, and like the small aspects of it that I can show are kind of boring when you just look at it at the surface. Yeah, uh, but it's got some surrealism to it too that I'm like interested that I, I find interesting. Where you're like you're not sure if what you're seeing is face value, like what is actually there, you know? I mean, I mean, it's weird because a lot of the inspiration is. From me reading the news and reading Reddit, there's a bunch of thoughts very similar to what I put in that game that are really scrubbing on me. So, I mean, if the project evolves to be a lot bigger, I think there will be some interesting ideas that are going to be put in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, I, I mean, I, I hope pe- people buy the game. That's, that's important. But uh, I think that you know, with, with the 10 games that we have, uh, I think that we have things that different people are going to be attracted to. And I think that uh, the people that are attracted to the kind of thing that you are pitching will want to see more. They won't be, they won't want, like they won't get tired of it by the end. How do I even put this? Yeah. <laughs> I should probably prepare my <laughs> questions a little bit better, but uh, it's like um, sometimes with a game, you're like, I want to see more be- because uh, you just you need to know what happens, and I think that's what people are going to be getting out of uh, the pay is nice. Yeah, I, I I think that was really early into my game development. Whenever I was playtesting my my previous game, and I'm going to make a lot of reference to that, but I think whenever I was showcasing it, I was always trying to find something that you know makes people want more. Like always end it on some sort of cliffhanger because I think that's very important. Uh, to really show that, yes, there's an idea here, but there's a potential for more. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you just blend in with the rest. Like, oh, this was fun, this was interesting, but now I'm just going to forget about that game and move on. But when you add it on, like, the, the I don't want to say the illusion, but like with, like, actually giving people a small candy to say, this is what you could taste ne- next. And like, if you just be a little bit more patient, you can see a lot more of that experience. I think that's what I, kind of replicated with that short game and in some ways why I revised the scope about five days in because I my my initial idea was not going to work out and it was going to just end 
probably on nothing really like not end up on a cliffhanger and people just being like okay this is over all right this is this is done but i really reward the final final cutscene i guess of the game to really make to really show that there's something else that could be coming mm-hmm. no i mean that's good i mean i don't think that horror i mean it's a cliche to say that horror always ends on a cliffhanger but especially with a project like this where you are the intention is to leave room for a larger project um which to be fair like i'm not trying to say that these games are demos that's the thing that i think that some people are going to get wrong is that like these aren't demos this isn't a vertical slice of the larger game this is supposed to be more like a chapter one of of something larger or uh a you know if, if there was a next part of the pay is nice the gameplay might be you know very different than what you're seeing here that's that's the whole point yeah no i i think so i i really focus on the narrative and the, the you know the universe and the world building and the atmosphere in this game mm-hmm. for sure if the the project gets a bit bigger uh so in this game it was like fixed camera tank control type of movement there was definitely going to be some survival aspects such as like resident evil or uh, silent hill or even the uh, song of horror that came quite recently and i think they did a really good job with what they've done Oh, yeah, I love that They're... game. By the way, if you haven't checked it out, I have a video on Song of Horror on the Dread XP YouTube channel where I go over the brilliance of that game. So, Yeah, I, I've just seen and alert, like heard, uh, heard about it quite recently, and they did a really great job at like, bringing that, that type of game back to the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's really good. Uh, Song of Horror, I, I think, is amazing. I, I think that uh, it's one of those games that... I think that all good uh, horror games, I think that they they take a little while to catch on. I was I did another video recently on Amnesia, which hasn't had a chance to go up yet because I've been so fucking focused on this project. Um, but like you know, Amnesia in its first month, I think only sold like you know uh, thirty six thousand copies, which is a lot, but not you know the millions that you expect from Call of Duty. But within the first year. It had sold like, you know, 1.100, 1,360,000 or something like that copies. And like, you know, it took, it took a second to catch on. Um, and I actually, I, I remember this a little bit more specifically than most other uh, horror people because um, I, you know, review horror games. But uh, most horror games that we remember fondly were not universally acclaimed when they came out. Uh, like Layers of Fear got like really mixed reviews. And now if you go on the Steam page, people are like, this is amazing. This was an amazing Observer. Uh, Observer got really mixed reviews. And now with the new Observer, now so some people are like, this was my favorite horror game. Um, Resident Evil 4. People were really, really critical of Resident Evil 4 for uh, being more action-y. And now it's widely considered to be one of the best horror games of all time. Uh, it's, it's, I, I feel that horror needs some space uh, to, to breathe to really kind of come into its own. Um, and I think that the games that give you something to think about in the long term are the ones that stick with you the longest. I think it's it's easier to have a positive, immediate reaction to a game that gives you all the answers up front. But the ones that make you think longer, you know, what are they talking about? What is What could be going on here? What are the deeper implications of the Silent Hill 2s? Those are the ones that have the long-term staying power. Yeah, they have the long tail and... I think it's kind of a illusion right now, and we, I mean, I've been a game dev now for like what three, four years? Let's say four years to round it up. Uh, I feel like when I started, it was like you need to make a success on day one, otherwise, like your your game will never sell anything, or you'll never be known. But I think with the amount of different games that are on the market, it's more like you need to build something that's sustainable that will be still be interesting in five months that will still be interesting in a year and you need to just keep pushing that universe you need to keep pushing that marketing uh, so that people slowly ramp up and pick it up because they might not pick it up on day one but they'll keep it on track and in six months they'll feel like they want that type of game they'll pick it up and then they'll start talking to their friends and uh, i think it, there's, there's like a long tail to it that should not be neglected even though it feels like most of the most of the message that people are saying when you get started is that you need to have an amazing day one. Otherwise it will never work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that mentality is super, super skewed. 
And um, that, uh, the, the, you know, you have to have big sales on days one, day one. And it comes almost entirely from uh, the world of film, where it's all about opening day sales. I mean, that's mm-hmm. end all be all is, is still opening day sales for movie movies. And that's um, there's a few reasons for that, not only because of ticket sales, but because of, um, you know, limited marketing time, limited space in theaters. But now with with digital distribution. The, the the problem with digital distribution now is not that there's only so many theaters to show it in. It's that there's so many things coming out um, that it's more about making a quality product that can that has staying power rather than making something flashy that immediately gets to the top of the charts. It's nice to immediately get to the top of the charts, but staying power, I think, is more important. Yeah, I mean. I'm like everyone else. If my like day one or week one would have been amazing, I'd been like the happiest person ever because I could, you know, work on something else like full time and get a bunch of people to work on that. Um, but it's good to put that away. Like you said, there's just so many things happening. So at the same time, it's normal that not everyone is going to be playing whatever you're doing because there's just so many great things out there and it's okay. They'll, they'll put the time away to work or like to play your game in my case in a little bit later um, also ended up like shipping for example right between uh, doom eternal animal crossing and final fantasy 7 were all around my launch date so definitely there's other great games out there i think <laughs> people should play those games yeah. instead of playing mine uh, <laughs> yeah that is an unfortunate time to try to launch around those other things um but the fortunate thing is that you didn't try to uh launch next to the date of uh you know the dread x collection because that would have just blown you it's the best game coming out that would have been yeah that would have been a career suicide career suicide for sure um yeah i I think that um i mean the the your game the grand block odyssey i would not want to be your marketing team because it's a very very difficult game to encapsulate in a way that unless someone is like your your game run has the unfortunate reality of being uh, needed to be played by smart people because it's a puzzle game and mostly puzzle games can only be beaten by people with the brains to solve puzzles, which is smart people, which already disqualifies ninety eight percent of gamers. And uh, then it's also people that are willing to look into trailers more or a Steam page more than just. This is a puzzle game into the, so you have to have people that are smart twice. So you probably, I mean, it's only one in every 12,000 gamers that would actually have the brain capacity to absorb Grand Block Odyssey. So if you're a fan, you have a big brain. So if you play Grand Block Odyssey and you like it, which you should, you should pick it up, try it out, see if you like it. Uh, and you do, you're smart and you can brag online. That's official. There's a show bragging points. Uh, so one of well, a few of the things that I heard over the years is that some people told me, and different people uh, told me, I don't like puzzle games, but I like this one because it makes me feel smart. Uh, these were definitely messages that I've heard, and I should probably put that in the trailer now that I think about it. Um, but one of the unfortunate situations that my game has put itself is that the target market for story-based game and for puzzles or hard puzzles... Uh, players are not necessarily the same people so yeah instead of creating a larger market for myself i actually created a very specific niche i don't necessarily think that your game has that specific of a niche i think that there are underserved markets and i think that the the narrative game versus puzzle game split isn't as large as people would think it is um i think that people that enjoy narrative games like walking simulators uh, you will frequently find themselves creating their own puzzles by trying to read too much into the story. Um, you watch someone play Gone Home, right? Which I love Gone Home. I think it's a great game. All the haters out there can, you know, go fuck themselves. I don't care. That game's awesome. Uh, and uh, you're, but you, you rarely see someone play through Gone Home like as a speed run, as their first time. Uh, mm-hmm. They're looking around the environment. They're trying to suss out the clues. They're creating a puzzle out of the game. And um, maybe it's because they get to do so at their own pace because they're not forced. That uh, gives it that more casual vibe. But uh, I think that um, we don't know the genres that we don't know. And I I guess that sounds like a basic statement, but it's actually a very, very smart statement. And I'm super deep and you should respect me for it. Um, But we, we, we don't know like 
what genres don't exist yet that we that we would like to make more games for. Um, like uh, I'm trying to think of the the well, I guess Undertale is a good example. Like, who knew that there would be demand for a turn-based RPG where you don't actually have to fight anything? Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of its own unique thing, and it's something that uh, a lot of games haven't yet copied because it's too hard, because it's too clever. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, yeah, you always have to be the first one to try a new genre, and sometimes it takes a while for that audience to build. And with, you know, one six seven. Um, and, and it, you know, to be honest, it doesn't have, it is a, it is a solo project from someone who doesn't have a billion dollars to put in it. And it does re- rely on you saying, okay, this is something different. This is something unique. This is something that didn't have EA backing. You know, this is, and as much as, as much as people like to shit on triple A's, that's still what people mostly buy and the expectations that they have. So there's a certain amount of kind of prejudice that you have to check at the door to enjoy it. And I'm not saying that you're asking too much of players. What I'm saying is that I think that the market is growing in that area. That kind of indie area has been growing slowly and steadily over time. Uh, There's now a large market for those kinds of games. I mean, there's an entire community on like youtube and twitch of people that just play indie horror stuff stuff that you'll find on itch.io stuff that you'll find on the, the the lower pages of steam and you know they're not as big as the the pewdiepies of the market players on the of the internet but they it is a large amount of people and it is it is growing more than it used to you you have to remember that jacksepticeye markiplier people like that they started with games like Five Nights at Freddy's, they started with games like Slender the Arrival, which were of yesteryear, those smaller, less heard of games. And it's from this trough, this area of lesser known, that the new innovative, the new horror game, I think, will come. Because it's generally, except for something sometimes like Resident Evil 7, just like revamps the Resident Evil genre, most of the time the new stuff comes from the smaller indie space, which is one, another reason why I wanted to do this project is because you get 10 unique, fresh distilled ideas uh, really quickly. That was a really long uh, rambly rant from me. And I'm not exactly sure why I was going with it, but I hope that everyone understood that I had a point there. In that <laughs> well, I, I think you like, I can kind of summar- like summarize your point is when I started making a puzzle game, that was also very narrative driven. Uh, one of the things that I quickly realized is that, Oh, nobody does that on the market. So my first reflex was to say, this is a bad idea. Nobody does that on the market. Mm-hmm. But what I ended up instead saying is that, no, this is completely a good idea. The fact that nobody else has done it is exactly the reason why you should do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what's your point is that not because nobody has done it, that it's a bad idea, but it's like a niche that needs to be explored because we don't know, like we don't know what people actually want. Uh, mm-hmm. The gaming industry is still pretty new. There's still so many things that we discovered, like Battle Royale was a thing that we discovered just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the biggest genres right now. Well, it used to be. I don't know. I think maybe the trend is dying down a little bit more, but it was definitely something new that came out that is something that needs to be discovered a little bit, like even more because it is something that people truly enjoy. Yeah, the Battle Royale genre, I think, is, um, I don't know if it's died down entirely. I think that it's um, slowed down. Yeah, we don't see, we definitely don't see as many games coming out. Um, but that's just, I think, is because of reaction to development times and cycles. Like, you know, I think that, uh, it takes a couple of years to make a battle royale, uh, if it's any good. And, uh, so, you know, when you see that something's getting popular, it takes for a couple of years for it to come out. And, uh, I think that the next wave of battle royales we're probably going to be seeing in about a year or two, um, based on the success of more mainstream. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, Call of Duty literally just came out with another Battle Royale mode, like the new Call of Duty did. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 had a Battle Royale mode. This one just came out with their Battle Royale mode. Um, and, I mean, I don't think Call of Duty does things if they don't think it's going to make them money. Yeah, and, and I think it's kind of like Battle Royale is the new one that came out. I, I clearly remember in 2010, I was in Los Angeles for the World Cyber Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which was pretty much the like Olympics of eSport back then. There was not a lot of eSport that was actually global at the time. And that was only 10 years ago. But I clearly remember that there was a booth for League of Legends back then. And I was there with one of my friends and we were just looking at it and we're like, this is never going to pick up. And <laughs> little did I know, uh, MOBA is now like an also big genre that just came out of nowhere and just uh, really took a big place in the market as well. Yeah, I think that MOBAs are, um, I think I probably, so I, I, I would have expected tower defense to have been a bigger genre personally, because it, it's like people like city building games, but they're city building games where you get to shoot missiles, but mm-hmm. tower defense never took off the way that MOBAs did. And we have to remember MOBAs did come from, you know, Starcraft mods. Yeah. I think the first one was Aeon of Strife, if I remember correctly. It was a StarCraft mod. And then, of course, we all remember Dota from a... Dota. Which, uh... God. Dota was just one of many back then. Yeah, I miss Dota those was days. the I, first I, one that, that kind of picked up. Yeah, the, the Warcraft 3 custom maps, and StarCraft as well, but specifically Warcraft 3, they had a lot of very good stuff on there. I just remember that, like, the new Warcraft 3 came out, and it got, like, thunder dunked on. Like, no one's playing the new Warcraft 3 revamped. Um, and I think that that was their, like, big hail, Blizzard's big hail Mary was like, look, we, we still make, <laughs> I, I made this joke before, like, with, because uh, they're, they're saying that they might release a Burning Crusade Classic, which is, you know, for the WoW Classic servers, is now that you can play Burning Crusade again. And I was like, God, I can't wait. You know, I didn't play WoW Classic when it came out this time around, because, um, I, I was starting a website and it's very difficult to do both <laughs> of those at the same time. But, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, now that I know that Burning Crusade is coming out, uh, I just, you know, in another 10 years when they have WoW Classic Classic, I can, I can play that. And, uh, it's, it's like, but the, the WoW, the, the Warcraft 3 Reforged, I remember people just really hating it. Like, uh, I didn't play it because, um, like I said, I was starting a website, but uh, Warcraft 3 Reforged is like it, it, something about how they own your custom maps and stuff. And uh, I, we did a podcast on that, didn't we, Jesse? I think we, I, I think I vaguely remember us doing a episode on uh, the Warcraft 3 owning their, their custom maps. And I think that what happened was I said uh, they're going to sue children and Remy said capitalism is perfect and there's oh, nothing yeah. wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did, didn't we? Um, yeah. Yeah, that one got kind of wrapped up with the firing that one streamer for uh, being like, "Hey, maybe, maybe." Oh yeah, Blitz Chung. Yeah, for uh, the the him saying maybe we shouldn't be uh, detaining Hong Kong protesters, uh, who are all fine now. Nothing bad happened with that. Um, yeah, that seems to have worked itself out. <laughs> it's all perfect. Um, no, uh, but I, what I was trying to say is that the, the creativity of that era of gaming with this, the, the, the custom maps, um, that was another place that they didn't expect things to come from. You know, they didn't No, no one would have fucking guessed that the biggest revolution in competitive gaming would have come from the Warcraft three custom map for funsies mode that everyone was playing for free. You know, it's really impressive what they ended up making like with a very basic tool and when you think about it like there's barely any game that shipped with the tools that warcraft 3 has created uh, like most of the games that ship today don't have that maybe uh-huh. that's because there's so many game development tools out there like unity and unreal that allows you to do so much more in theory but just the ease of use and the ease of this uh, the ease of distribution that warcraft 3 allowed was just completely insane for the time that it came out from but I think that there's still a huge audience for that user-created content, and I think that user-created content is a big part of what got me into gaming, and it is no longer a big part of the marketplace like it used to be. Um, like, you know, I, I remember... Okay, uh, Jonathan, how old are you? I'm 30. Are you younger or older than 30? I'm older than you. Cool. So I'm 31. <laughs> but you, you played uh, Half-Life. Yes. You played Half-Life 2? Yes. Would you say you spent more time playing the campaign of Half-Life and Half-Life 2 or the various different custom mods for Half-Life and Half-Life 2? 
Uh, I'm going to be on the side of the people that played the campaign of Half-Life 1 and 2. Really? You didn't play any of the custom mods? No, but I did download the Source Engine and play a bit with it. So, Did you ever play Counter-Strike? Uh, yeah, I did play Counter-Strike. Did you know that Counter-Strike is a Half-Life mod? Is, but I thought it was an official mod, so that's why I didn't put it in that category. Oh, no, no. I would, yeah, it is, it is an official mod, but I'm talking about back then, games would mm. be built out of other games, you know? And then and then players... Because, like, do you remember the days where you'd join a Half-Life, a, a Counter-Strike server, and then it would say, like, downloading various assets, and then you'd join, and it would be, like, the Disco Light server, and the Warcraft mod would be on, and your grenades would, like, explode into 15 other grenades? Because that's just, that's just how shit was back then. You'd join a server, you'd have no fucking idea what kind of custom rules they had. Sure, there was a lot of weird things, and now that you think about it, I, I guess my brain kind of removed those, but yeah, there was, like, um, zombie type of game and like like you say Warcraft 3 you could level up your character and oh yeah the, the Warcraft 3 the maps and then uh the surf maps with the weird physics that you try to jump from place to place yeah yeah no now that you say that yeah like I guess people with those servers back then could do a lot of things and that that was the essence of Counter-Strike like Counter-Strike to me is not it's T's versus CT's. It's not DS Dusk. It's not the competitive scene. It's joining a server and then being like, I'm going to, you know what? I, I bought an op, but I'm also a level 20 night elf. So I can use my like lasers. I can use my uh, <laughs> priestess of a loon powers to, to, uh, to regenerate armor enough so that I can actually take an op shot before I shoot them with my op. It's, it's like, so that's just like, that is to me. The essence of being, uh, 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 well, a PC gamer first off, and I think consoles changed a lot of that. Um, and and that kind of level of creativity, I didn't, I haven't seen that a lot with newer stuff, except um, of course for things like PlayStation Dreams, which is like designed to be a toolkit, you know, or Little Big Planet or Mario Maker. Yeah, I think Dreams and Mario Maker kind of bring that. I I have a feeling somehow that because now there's so many engines that are freely available that people that want to make game will just start diving into Unity and Unreal. Um, instead yeah, of just. That's hard. Like, you gotta learn things. Oh, it's so it's much hard. harder. Yeah. No, I, I like, I remember like specifically, and I'm a game dev, but I was making maps on Starcraft and I was making maps on Warcraft 3 because this was the tools that I could use back then to just play with yeah. my creativity. But like you said, they're so much easier because once you're done with the map, you just go online and make it work. And I mean, I guess you have less of an idea that you need to make money out of it because it took you seven days to make something cool, maybe at most one month. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, yeah, but I do feel like it's something that, you know, certain devs that are coming out with new games don't think about that aspect of their games really anymore, that mod, that modability. Because I know that StarCraft 2 didn't really have the same toolkit that Star- Warcraft 3 even had. I thought he had something quite nice. I didn't jump into it, but I feel like it was at that point too complex. Well, so then why why do you think that the, the custom map scene of Starcraft 2 never popped off like the Warcraft 3 custom map scene? Because there's no doubt that the Warcraft 3 custom map scene was was massive and the, 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 the Starcraft 2 one was piddling at best. Um, I have a, like, I just have a feeling and I tried to play with starcraft 2 map editor and i think it was just too complex for me um Mm -hmm. even though like i know what i was doing i felt like it was so close to actually being like its own engine where you can actually do everything and less you can only do these 10 specific things but use your creativity to make something nice out of it so i think the the learning curve was maybe too high so that you just can't just get started doing it maybe I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say because uh, I'm not creative at all. I'm a, I'm a writer, so <laughs> or want to be a writer. I've only been doing it for seven years. That's still pretty creative. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I did write uh, stuff for uh, this, which we haven't we haven't really talked about yet. I'm just going to keep dropping <laughs> hints that there's something cool coming. Well, that's what I was going to say and bring is that it was kind of nice to say like, here's a project we do for seven days and just. What's your wildest dream? What's the, the best thing you want to do? And by putting some sort of like time limit on you need to give me something in seven days really was able to force me specifically. But I think the under nine devs can probably say something similar where we had to come up with something that was doable in seven days. But that's truly something we believed in. And mm-hmm. then 
I mean, in some ways, I'm almost prouder of what I've done in seven days than I've done in two years and a half. Yeah. Well, I mean, horror at its core should be simple. Um, it, it should be primarily focused on mystery and fear. And uh, creating a, a, an aura of mystery and fear doesn't take a billion dollars. It just takes skill. And, um, you know, it's like Hemingway said, you know, the, the you know, he had this idea that you needed to use less words. And he said, uh, uh, I think his, his uh, six words was his shortest story that evoked emotion. And it was uh, for sale, baby's shoes never worn. And, you know, that just sends chills down your spine. It evokes all kinds of emotions in your brain, dead babies, etc. And, uh, you know, he didn't need to draw pictures of dead babies to put a picture of a dead baby in your brain. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to have pictures of dead babies in your brain, but whatever. Uh, now you do. Um, but the, the point is, is that uh, horror should hit you right in the gut. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, when we give someone a time limit you force them to not worry about the, the, the details. You may force them to worry about the primary emotive force. And I think that we've got, you know, 10 games that do that. Um, although I, I should say uh, Rot Gut, created by Soda Drinker Pro, uh, Will, uh, SnowRunner Productions, uh, his is a game where you should stop and look at the details. But his, his, his game is weird because uh, I, he's kind of strange, which is, um, perfect. Like that's, I think, what people are looking for when they're looking for a game from the guy that made Soda Drinker Pro. I I haven't played it yet, but I did see all of the footage, and yeah, definitely, it's like you said, you need to stop and really embrace what's around you. You like you don't want to speed run that game. You just want to go yeah. with the flow, take a few steps, look to your left, take a few more steps, to, to like step, uh, look to your right, and just yeah. go slowly through it. Have you had a chance to play any of the other games yet? Uh, I did play uh, The Pony Factory. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the first game that I played. I, it was really, really good. Uh was able to make me jump as well. And even though I kind of expected what was going to happen, it still worked. Yeah. Uh, and then I played uh, Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket told me to. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting uh, survival game. I think it took me a few attempts to actually get through it, but I ended up finishing it and kind of was a very nice experience i think they really have a and it's crazy how different for example the pony factory and mr bucket told me to are different on so many different scales yeah yeah no no they're very, they're very different games but uh that's why i really like them is that uh uh you know zolivir um he has a really really unique writing style and i feel like his voice kind of shines through in the, in the juxtaposition of the 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 happy versus the the spooky i don't want to spoil too much what happens in that game um but you know uh david on the other hand with the pony factory far more better in that realm of in your face consistent horror you know kind of the the, the constant oppressive feel um two wildly different games but you know both very effective yeah, and and I think the the like we we said that I think you said that in other podcast episodes as well. But just the it, it's incredible how like we have ten games and they're all extremely different. Uh, like, and we we didn't plan any of that difference. It just happened. We just are ten devs that see a horror experience on a different level. Yeah. No, I mean it really is. It's it's and it's cool to see because I didn't I didn't like when when I came to the developers about this, I didn't say like, you know, here's exactly what you should be doing based on the things that you've done before. I was just like, do a thing. And then we basically had a conference call. Everyone kind of pitched in with what they were, they were doing and not a single person had the same idea. It's not like we had any overlap of this person's doing this. So I have to do this, you know? And you didn't ask us before, like you, you, you were just asking us, like, do you want to do this? I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And I had no idea what I was going to do. So it's not like you could yeah. have planned it any differently because if you had asked me the first time we spoke, what are you going to do? I'm going to be like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the reason I reached out to 10 very different developers. I mean, like I was, uh, uh, uh Justin Reynard, he's worked on, Fallout New Vegas and on Alpha Protocol, which is kind of crazy to think about that he's worked on, you know, big games like that. Because right now he's making like a, a card game. And I was like, 
hey, you know, do you want to make something for this? And he was like, yeah, I make card games though. And I was like, make a horror card game. He was like, I guess like that was the only I, 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 he was like, well, what if I don't want to make a card game? I was like, whatever, do whatever you want. But, you know, and uh, he ended up uh, making uh, Don't Go Out, which is um, like a survival game turn. It's like it's like a mixture between a card game and a tactics game. It's pretty interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's it's like basically I, I the, the the idea was to get 10 uh, very different people. And I figured that because, you know, you're you're French Canadian. That's just basically an alien. It's a what? You're basically an alien. You know, you're from I'm outer basically space. Basically an alien. Yeah. It's, it's true, totally but uh, there's there's a very nice industry here in Montreal, though. So don't uh, don't underestimate it. We're we're going to catch up to the the global scene very soon. Yeah. You know what's funny is that I uh, okay, so I French Canadian and French are very different uh, mm-hmm. in terms of personality yes. styles. Because the French Canadians are tend to be nice. Uh, the French. I get along super well with French people. Um, they're not, now they're going to hate me that I said that. But the reason <laughs> I get along with them so well is because uh, I'm incredibly negative about France, and they love it. They love being negative about France. It's like their favorite thing. Because uh, I was in Paris uh, doing a flight to um, wherever I was going, Poland. And uh, I got like lost because the trains weren't running right. And there was all this construction and these roads that didn't make sense. Like there's roads that are down to one lane. So people get like pushed out of lanes by buses. It's horrible. And I, I was, as I was saying this, these other French people were like, oh, this bullshit is not, yes, yes, it's horrible. I hate it. Uh, Paris is terrible. And then, uh, but then that's, that's just kind of the personality of commiseration, you know? And, uh, so they all think I'm, 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 I'm super fun. Uh, and, uh, like I was, uh, do you, is it also popular in French Canada, Dungeons of Nobel, whatever it's called? Have you ever heard of that? Oh, Donjon de Nelbeck. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I did listen to it back when it came out. Uh, that's like 10, 15 years old, I want to say. Well, apparently it's um, super yeah, that, popular in France. And, and do they still make episodes? I don't know. I, I'm not French, but I was doing an interview with them at PAX East because they're making a Dungeons of yeah, yeah, game. <laughs> and uh, the guy is like from Lyon. And I was like okay. saying how I was in Paris and he was like just commiserating about how it's a terribly dirty city. And it's so funny because that's like literally every time I talk to a French person, that is the re- relationship I have is I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And they're like being their PR person, usually very nice and friendly. Um, uh, and then, you know, I do my, uh, the little thing and they're like, Oh, you're right. It is. <laughs> it's just, that's the, every experience I have. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't over overplay my hand here. Ah, <sighs> but, uh, so what, just kind of curious what, uh, what games have you been playing lately? Uh, just today, I was re- I reinstalled StarCraft uh, Brood War, the original one. Well, the remastered, I should say. Um, yeah. I'm kind of a big strategy game type of fan, and I haven't played as many as I should have in the past few years. Uh-huh. And I really got back into them and really got motivated by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Technically, I asked myself, do I want to make more strategy games in my life? And I said, no, that will probably ruin the genre for me. So I decided not to do any of those. Mm-hmm. I prefer to keep that part as a hobby instead of trying to make them. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I do try to play a little bit of everything. I'm somebody that likes to, and I like pretty much all type of games. And mm-hmm. I like to touch a little bit of all of them. So I just before that, I played Doom Eternal, for example, when it came out. Um I'm trying to remember what I played as well. Like I play Divinity, Original Sin. Uh, yeah, I just play pretty much everything because I like to touch pretty much all the genres. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just actually turned uh, some of my Polish friends on to uh, Tyranny. Have you ever played Tyranny? Okay. I haven't played, but I do have Pathfinder in, uh, install, which I think they're kind of similar. Uh, it's similar to Pillars of Eternity. So is Tyranny not like Pillars of Eternity? Tyranny is like Pillows of Eternity. Okay, yeah. So it, it's yeah. actually, I think it's made by the same people. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, so yeah. yeah exactly. Obsidian. So yeah I, yeah, I haven't got to Tyranny yet, but uh, we'll probably play it eventually. Yeah, I think that um, uh, uh, Tyranny is, is great. You should just play it. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. Um, so uh, Jesse, what do you got? Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I 
I'm coming into this without much info. Um, the only, like, I asked Ted who the guest was, and he's like, Jonathan. And I searched up Jonathan and found out it's a type of turtle and a type of apple. And uh, okay. couldn't, couldn't find any games to, to, to read about. So um, maybe you should ask for more information. But uh, uh, A bit of backstory here. Jesse's been handling most of the website stuff while I do this game thing. So Okay. Yeah, and I'm also, it's also finals week, so I'm, uh, you know, doing, trying to, you know, wrap up all of that too, so. Yeah, and uh, the plague. And the plague, yeah. Yeah. So, been out of focus. I may that... Oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say, I may or may not have a turtle at home, but uh, I will let you guys guess. Is it a Jonathan turtle? Because that's a, that's a breed of turtle. No, I don't have a turtle. Oh. <laughs> I, oh, said, I said I may or may not. <laughs> oh, what a plot. I didn't see that one coming. That was a good one. Jesse's uh, gonna laugh about that for like a while after this is done. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's gonna be editing this later and come across that clip and start laughing again. I believed you. I believed you with no no uh scrutiny at all. I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, okay. Well uh Jonathan. I think we got to wrap it up because I got to uh, listen to some of these uh, things I can't talk about for secret stuff that's coming for the project. Sure, so, but people will know about it probably by the time this goes live. Um, oh. So, uh, you know what? Uh, if people want to learn more about you, what do they do? Um, so, if you want to learn about me specifically, I do have my Twitter account. Uh, if you look under, I guess it's the 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 at is at its reality o. Uh, you should be able to find my personal page. Otherwise, uh, if you want to learn about Crew167, it's crew167.com. And in there, there should be also be the links for my Twitter, for example. So if you <laughs> did not manage to spell it out correctly, uh, it's no worries. So crew167.com will give you all the different links to all the different platforms where you can follow me. Uh, mm-hmm. That include Discord, Facebook page, page uh, my email most likely. So everything you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Alrighty. Uh, guys at home, uh, I just want to thank you all so much for uh, listening and uh, joining us along this long journey. Um, we got a few more guests coming up here. We still got to talk to Airdorf again and Justin again. Uh, we got to talk to uh, Soda Drinker Pro and uh, James Ragg, who's also a lovely help place coming up. And I just want to say, all the games are in now. I've played them all. If you spend five bucks, sorry, seven, because of the two for charity, on this package, you're going to be getting so much value out of this. It's, it's crazy. Like, I, 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 I'm really, really, really proud of everything that the developers are, have done. This is such a cool package that's all brought together. And um, honestly, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is just the first of many. We'll find out soon based on if everyone likes it. But uh, guys, if you want to hear any of the previous episodes that we've done, head on over to dreadxp.com. We've got a whole DreadX collection tab there. So you can see the announcement. That's where you can see any of the previous uh, interviews. That's where you can see the trailer when it goes up, um, which it actually might be up by the time this goes live. So maybe the trailer's there, maybe not. Um, and, uh, you know, the Steam page is, is almost done. We're just waiting on the trailer so that it can go live. And then you can all see it. And, um, you know, once again, I just want to thank everyone so much that's been commenting, that's been following over the past few days. Uh, some of the, the developers, uh, you know, have, have been coming to me and saying, you know, I've gotten so much great community interaction off of all the stuff that we've been doing. So many people have said that they're excited. And, you know, I just I, I want to say thank you so much if you've been reaching out to any of the devs. If you have any questions, don't feel free to, to reach out. we got uh, so much cool stuff going on. I met all of these guys that are doing this project just by randomly calling them and uh so don't be afraid to reach out and be like hey what's going on with this project uh did does any of them want to talk to us uh, did, does anyone want to i have a stream i i, I want to play this game just reach out we're we're all indie here we're all regular joes we just we want to be able to let everyone know the cool things we got going on here so uh anyways guys thank you so much for tuning in uh and i will see you soon with our next episode where we'll be interviewing another one of them bye thanks good morning crew one six seven mission two hope nine
Network for testing and diagnosis.